What's up, revelers and weirdos, and welcome to Scaring Sam, where sometimes I scare my fiance, sometimes she rolls her eyes, and at all times she questions being with me. We are your hosts. I'm Big John. And I'm Little John. <laughs> and today's episode, we are discussing the very divisive Halloween Kills. It's still Halloween night in 2018, and Laurie Strode and her family have failed to burn Michael Myers alive, and now he's making his way back to his old family home, killing anyone who crosses his path, but an angry mob of townsfolk are coming after him. Forgot to say, oh, spoilers! <laughs> yes, there's going to be plenty of spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, go now, go. Join the conversation. Pause the episode, go watch it, then come straight back to us. So, straight off the bat, what did you think, Sam? Well, to start with, I preferred the one before. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This one is just it's so much more gruesome than all the other Halloween films that I've seen. Did it really need to go that far? Probably not. Well, it did. And, yeah... I mean, yes, definitely go and watch it. It was okay. Okay, well, the biggest issue I have with Halloween Kills is that it doesn't progress the story enough. Oh, no, not at all. It feels like filler before the final chapter next year. It's a satisfactory slasher because of the kills, and the way we get to witness Town's reaction to Michael's curse, as Laurie describes his influence... But once the credits roll, it feels like we're only halfway through the narrative. In hindsight, there's a number of similarities between Halloween 2 and Halloween Kills. And that's not a comparison you want. There was that one scene in Halloween 2 where a mob had gathered outside the Myers house and began to vandalise it after hearing word of Michael's killing spree. But it didn't carry over into the rest of the movie. Whereas in Halloween Kills, we essentially see that play out for the entire runtime. The fear Michael installs from his superhuman feet sends the whole town spiralling into chaos. It's this fear that festers and blinds everyone, and as this posse of townsfolk descend upon Haddonfield to hunt down Michael, quickly succumbing to rage and violence. His notoriety is legendary at this point. He has hung over the town for over 40 years, and now he's back hunting on the streets. Everyone is running around like mindless animals. The actions even resulting in the death of an innocent man. Wait, so how old is he at this point? If you're saying that he's been doing this for over 40 years... Well, I made a mistake of last year saying he was in his 70s, but he's 61 now. Right, OK. So 61-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he was, what, he was institutionalised when he was six, after killing his sister, mm. and then he escaped when he was 21. Right. Okay. And then after that night, after they retroactively changed the story, the police apprehended him and he's been in that asylum for 40 years now. And he still knows how to drive. And he still knows how to drive. <laughs> and they must have arts and craft activities because he's very creative with his kills. Yes, very. The message in this movie is clear though. Sometimes our reaction to injustice in our community can make us monsters ourselves. It's a cautionary tale on mob mentality. Unfortunately, this message isn't subtle. In fact, we're hit over the head with it more than the mob wails on Michael. 
Yeah, talk about being subtle. This chanting, <laughs> why? It's a bit cheesy, isn't it? Not evil dies tonight. Yeah, seriously. I think, like, if it was just chanted once, then it would have been okay. But we're having a bit of a fondue cheese with this chanting. Hmm. All of the cheese. Well, it becomes laughable, doesn't it? It's supposed to be... It's ridiculous. It's supposed to be a powerful message, and yeah, it would have been. And I was rolling my eyes. <laughs> but it's when... They just start forcing it into like sentences, into conversation. Yeah, it was it was forced. The first time it was fine; it just happened naturally. And then after that, it was overkill. You had moments where Tommy Dahl just casually says, "Cause evil has to die tonight." It's like that's normal. It's like, okay, we get it. Okay, we get it. And it is a shame. Because I've never seen this in a slasher before. Usually the victims of these masked maniacs are isolated. The rest of society don't find out about the horrors they have occurred until after, when the final girl is the last survivor. And this isn't far-fetched to believe this could happen. After all, we witnessed it happened on the news in 2020, resulting in mass riots across the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's plausible. And this film was actually made before the riots last year. They predicted what happens when fear takes over entire communities. I mean, I don't think that's a prediction. It's happened many times. Oh, yeah, of course. They, yeah, they couldn't predict a pandemic across the world. But, I know it's kind of strange to say, but I guess Michael is Haddonfield's pandemic. Now, that's a bit cheesy, me saying that. <laughs> also, Halloween Kills makes the same mistake as Halloween 2 by forcing Laurie Strode to the sidelines, becoming a mere onlooker in her own story. You get the impression they at least tried to give Laurie more to do other than being spaced out in a hospital bed for the majority of the runtime. But aside from her barking orders, Laurie is still bedridden for most of this film. Well, I hope she takes more of a role in the last one. Obviously, her... um daughter dies spoilers yeah sorry <laughs> sorry not sorry though <laughs> um yeah so hopefully she's gonna be back to her old self well apparently the next film is going to take place four years after this one. Oh. apparently it's going to deal with the pandemic as well somehow okay i mean did michael take a break and wore a mask over his mask and kept his distance the socially distance <laughs> for four years. I like the idea that this entire trilogy would take place over one night. Mm. But I guess they backed themselves into a corner because Laurie was stabbed in the 2018 Halloween. She gets operated on this one, so she's not exactly going to be on her feet. So I guess they had to give time for her to recover. Yeah, I guess so. But it just feels odd now, doesn't it? Mm. In terms of a trilogy. Got two films set over one night, and the next one, four years later. I mean, what's Michael been up to? Where's he been hiding? He took a break for four years. Well, I guess be- I guess because of the pandemic, people didn't go out trick or treating, so he couldn't kill anyone. Everyone locked their doors. Maybe. He's just roaming. We will see. He was just <laughs> roaming around, going, "Oh man, there's no one out." But like I said, yeah, they backed themselves in the corner because Laurie was what. She's in her late 50s now, early 60s. 
And once you've been stabbed in the side, you're not exactly going to be doing a cha-cha anytime soon. And I've got to give high praise for Andy Matichak playing Alison. I'm terrible at surnames. Seriously, what a powerhouse performance. Aside from that devastating scene where Alison has to witness Michael utterly destroying her ex Cameron, there's this quiet moment that stood out for me. When she's in the back of Lonnie's car, he's going on about how he once bought drugs off her dad when they're teenagers and she just breaks down. Because we shouldn't forget that her dad was only murdered a couple of hours ago. Yeah. And Andy Matichak brings all that pain to the surface. By the end of the film, she is completely broken by this hell of a night. And I believe once we see Halloween ends next year, we will discover this is Alison's story, not Laurie Strode's. Because mm. now her mum's been killed as well. Mm-hmm. She's been orphaned. Yeah. I guess she's going to become like one of these doomsday preppers like Laurie. And she's going to get revenge on Michael at the end. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Or they do a complete role reversal and... She becomes a psychopath? Because I thought that at the end of the last film, because you saw her, the last shot is literally her cradling Michael's blade. So I thought it, the whole event would just break her. Because also she's witnessed her friends killed as well. So, I don't know, maybe after four years, she becomes, she gets institutionalised and breaks out and becomes a killer? They probably wouldn't do that, would they? People want to see Michael. Yeah. Ah, ah. Before I forget, speaking of returning characters, I was not expecting Dr. Loomis to turn up in flashbacks, considering Donald Pleasance died in 1995. This wasn't accomplished by CGI at all. So, how was it done? Dr. Loomis was brought to life by makeup effects designer Christopher Nelson, who applied an 11 piece prosthetic makeup with hair pieces to film construction foreman Tom Jones Jr. Although Colin Maheen provided his voice just as he did in 2018's Halloween. Oh. They released like background shots of before and after of this guy and after they applied the prosthetics. Yeah. So, I don't know, is that a bit disrespectful for Donald Pleasance? I'm not sure. Um, He's been in lots of Halloween films, so maybe it's just honouring his legacy. Possibly, because his last film was Curse of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. And they, people say it's one of the worst Halloween films, so maybe they want to honour him by making you remember he was in that seminal, original Halloween. Okay, so speaking of those kills, you can't really deny that Halloween kills are some of the most brutal in the entire franchise. <laughs> um, so you've got the massacre of the firefighters at the start. Seriously, was that needed? <laughs> Again, it's a 61-year-old man. Yeah. We start with the guy that just has the hose. He literally has nothing else to defend himself with. And then, especially that guy who had the um, electric um, wood saw, the handheld thing, <laughs> when that was like turned against him. That's not okay. Then there was that scene with the old... Um, man and lady and the old lady slowly bleeding out after having the broken fluorescent light tube forced into her throat that was that was quite gruesome I really didn't personally like that bit and then she's forced to watch her partner turned into a human butcher block he's already dead at the time just Michael's doing his art and craft thing again yeah but he's like he's purposely put him 
on the like kitchen island where she can then see the TV there and then him just being hacked. Lovely. Um, you've got the knife in the eye. Oh. And then the um, wife. Was it the wife? Yeah, it was the wife. Wife of that guy. She has a gun, but unfortunately, Michael kicks the door and it suddenly turns the gun back onto her. So technically she did kill herself. Technically, yeah. I can't see how she actually missed him, for Christ's sake. It's close range. Oh, I don't know. But that was, yeah. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, little John and big John. <laughs> <laughs> um, Got big John's eyes exploding. And then the savage beating of um, Cameron, Sir Alison's boyfriend. Well, technically ex. Right. Um, and then all she can do is watch. Because she's like violently been what thrown yeah, downstairs thrown stairs, I think she broke her leg or yeah, ankle something's something's broken and Michael's just like tormenting her by doing that oh yeah because he could just kill him straight yeah. away just stab him with a knife of dead but no and then we move on to the where the angry mob is kicking the shit out of Michael um, shooting him Shooting him. Hitting him with baseball bats. Yeah. Um, and then... I think they stabbed him as well. Karen did. Yeah, Karen does. Um, even though they're all like, no, you go and you go to see your daughter kind of thing. But she's like, nope, I want to do this yeah, shit. Yeah, you killed my husband. Yeah. And we all think, yeah, you're getting him. And then, and then the moment of realisation in my head, I'm like, oh, wait, there's another film. So obviously it doesn't end like this. I just don't get it. He's been stabbed, shot multiple times, and he's undead or something. Like, <laughs> what is this? Well, people are saying that it's Haddonsfield's hate and fear of Michael that empowers him. I'm thinking, no. I mean, he's still a 61-year-old man. He yeah, must feel like some what? pain. Yeah, so Karen, um, she stabs him, but why has no one... Made a blow to the head. A headshot would surely kill him, right? I don't know. They tried to do a headshot in Halloween 2 and that didn't do anything. I'm sure he was shot in the head in the previous film as well. What? If you're shooting someone in the brain, then, like, there's no way out of that. I uh, know. I mean, even if even if Michael doesn't feel pain, he's still going to cause nerve damage or brain damage and his body's going to respond. I don't know. Maybe his... AI. <laughs> well, that's the twist. He's he's a robot. He, he's secretly a Terminator. <laughs> uh, Karen stabbed him, then left the rest of them to it because, she, well, obviously she thinks um, they can handle him. She goes back to see her daughter, and then goes into the house and and then she's looking out the window where Michael used to stand when he was a child, and we get that. Really annoying kill right at the end. Why? Why? Just why? How many times can I say why? Yeah, because shockingly Karen is stabbed to death by Michael all because she was hogging his spot in front of the window. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, hey, get out my spot. I kill you. Yeah, Judy Greer has admitted in an interview that she was bummed her character died. But added, I thought it was a good idea, though. I thought it was a really 
beautifully written and it felt like a dance, like an opera. What? You won't see that reenacted on Strictly Come Dancing. Also, no, I wanted her character to, to carry on, so it was the the three women. Yeah, like the last film. Yeah. Like, which was a great message of female empowerment, and now I guess Laurie and Alison have even greater motivation to take down Michael. I guess so. And in those four years, they've been training the shit out of themselves. Yes? <laughs> yeah. After four years, definitely. I like how the plot kind of emphasises that Michael doesn't really, in fact, give two shits about Laurie Strode. Laurie, of course, has a personal vendetta against him after what he put her through that Halloween night in 1978. Mm. But the only reason they faced off in the previous film was because of Dr. Sartain forcing that encounter. Right, okay. Yeah, because he's the one who drove Michael to Laurie's house. Because he wanted to see how the killer and the survivor would interact. Because that's a good idea. Yeah, he's just a stupid character. That stupid twist. If left to his own devices, Michael will senselessly murder anyone he comes across on his way back to his old family home. Mm. And that's always been his main agenda, to go back home. Michael is essentially still that crazed six-year-old who still has that longing to go back to somewhere familiar to him, only he's trapped inside an old man's body. It's a very primal drive, but Michael is a very primal being. And like you pointed out, and as Jermaine said when we went to the cinema, Michael Myers is basically supernatural now. In the previous movie, you could suspend disbelief that a man in his 60s would be capable of such feats, since he's not of sound mind. Mm. In an interview, director David Gordon Green said, The suggestion that he is more than a man is a theory that Laurie has. My own personal concept for Michael is that he's capable of spectacular things, but not impossible things. Right. I saw impossible things in this film. And he carries on. So I don't personally see him as supernatural, but I see the element of fear that he's generated and exacerbated is transcending the immediate character and moved on to an entire community. End quote. So in the eyes of the townsfolk, Michael is supernatural, but he is capable of enduring massive amounts of damage, but he is still just a man. Is he, though? Yeah. The issue with that notion is, we as an audience have witnessed Michael survive things which no mortal man could ever survive. In reality, the damage this 61-year-old man has been dealt in this one film alone would cause him to die from massive blood loss. He's impaled by a pitchfork at one point. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't matter if he can't feel the pain and carry on, he would die from blood loss. His body would just cease to function. So he's clearly supernatural at this point in the franchise now. Mm-hmm. He gets up after being beaten down by a mob of Despite how heated fans are getting on where they stand with Halloween Kills, and it's getting quite heated on Twitter, because, you know, it's Twitter, I think we can all agree Big John and Little John were great. Oh, yeah, they were fantastic. Hence our introduction. <laughs> and I think, in terms of backstory... I believe they're a local celebrity couple because I saw a poster of the pair on a bench outside the petrol station where Tommy Doyle was recruiting for his posse. Yeah, yeah. TV personalities, radio personalities. And I absolutely love what they did with the old Myers house. I was mentally taking decorating ideas for their home. <laughs> yeah, I remember one bit you were like, oh, I like that shade of green. <laughs> and on like the 
stairwell they had this I guess it was like tidal wave wallpaper or something that was nice right I don't and, think we're going to have tidal wave wallpaper oh, no but it still looked nice <laughs> and then I think it was Big John's office where he was first introduced to him he had like incredible record collection this like light up record player I think he like a great like mahogany bookcase very nice and then Michael had to ruin it yes yes he did Especially the stairwell by using Cameron's head as a, um, what do you call it, sledgehammer? Yeah. He assisted Cameron with his owl impression once he was done. What? He twisted his head 180 degrees around. Oh. Okay, thank you for, for that. However, now the press are accusing Michael Myers of being homophobic after killing this couple. I don't think... He doesn't pick and choose people. They were in his house. Yeah, it's a dumb thing to say. Stupid. It's like when they're trying to do a petition of cutting out that scene where he kills the firefighters. He doesn't pick people. He just kills whoever is in his way. I think Michael Myers is perhaps the most inclusive person you'll meet. He doesn't care who you are when he kills you. Exactly, yeah. I don't know, you can read into things. I think in this particular case, personally... He's he's just killing anyone and anyone that's in his way. It's not... Yeah, he's not prejudiced. No. <sighs> Everybody loves a cliche. So, we have got the gang split up. Yep, or, or the <laughs> posse splits up. Yep, everyone splits up. And, of course, the power-walking killer. Yeah, Michael never runs. He is undead, supernatural... Whatever. Got a good cardio game. He always game. stays the same speed, but catches up with you somehow. Um, which also makes him the invincible killer. Beyond invincible. Mm-hmm. Unkillable. We've got investigating in the dark. Someone hides upstairs. Which, in this case, is Michael. Yeah, he loves hiding upstairs. <laughs> and actually, that, that was in the, the, the first bit. Wasn't it when we go back in time, and we see the the two cops? Yeah, going back into um, the Myers house. Yeah, and I knew it was going to happen. This was the first bit that made me jump. I knew he was going to be in the cupboard or the room, whatever was attached to that bedroom. I knew he was going to come out of that doorway, and still I jumped. I think it was probably the volume in the cin- cinema. But it still made me jump. I think that's the first time I've ever seen Michael do any kind of speed beyond power walking. Yeah. Because he charged. Just popped out. Yeah, I think they're going, this is how he was when he was a youthful 21-year-old. But in the original Halloween, he still walked the same pace as he does now. Mm, Just launched himself. So, so far on Rotten Tomatoes, critics have only given Halloween Kills a 39% rating. From 192 reviews, whereas fans have given it 70% rating out of what 2,500. This this is at the point of where we had a look. It might have changed now. It's quite a big divide between critics and audience, and it's a bit harsh if you compare it to the Halloween that came out in 2018. Yeah, critics were a bit more. Well, a lot more generous with their rating. Okay, final thoughts. 
Do you like it? Um, yes and no. I would definitely see. Uh, I would definitely say go and see it. If you've seen the other ones, yep, go see it. Continue the journey. I definitely prefer the the one before, but yeah, it was okay. I will say I would watch this again rather than um, Blair Witch Project. So. <laughs> And I feel the same. I liked it, but I didn't love it. There's zero payoff. We have to wait for Halloween ends next year for any resolution to the plot. But despite this, like I said on Twitter, it has its flaws, but I'll rather watch Halloween kills dominate the box office than any Saw or Paranormal Activity sequel during October. And it is slaying the box office. We're not at Christmas yet. What? Slaying. Yeah, it's like a killer. Oh. What are you thinking, like Santa Claus on a sleigh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see how different our minds are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it is. It is a massive success of a film. Mm-hmm. So, that was Halloween Kills. Have you seen it? Do you rate it? It is a Marmite film, so you're either on one side of the fence. You love it or you hate it. Or you like me and you accepted it. Yeah, it's just fine. I'll just see how it pans out in the final film. <laughs> so, we have been your hosts. I've been Sam. And I've been James. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram on Scaring Sam Pod. And you can always contact us at scaringsampod at gmail.com. Happy Halloween! Halloween.